Welcome to the CE Pro Podcast. I'm Executive Editor Arlen Schweig. We sometimes hear the term movie magic to describe the ingenious methods filmmakers use to create incredible movie experiences. Well, the sound engineer for the hit 2018 horror movie A Quiet Place, starring John Krasinski and Emily Blunt, had to dig deep into his magic bag of tricks to create some of the sounds we hear in that film, which has a lack of sound as a central plot point. That's what makes A Quiet Place an ideal demo for integrators to use, and why it was the very first cinema sommelier review in the Cinema Connoisseur magazine. Just in time for Halloween, this special CE Pro podcast episode features a discussion with the Academy Award-nominated sound engineer from the movie, a top integrator, a leading home theater designer, and content source provider Kaleidoscape. By the way, wait until you hear what device and what fruit was used to create the sound of the monsters in a quiet place. As always, be sure to subscribe to CE Pro's YouTube channel and hit that like button on our videos, or subscribe to the CE Pro podcast on Apple and Spotify and leave a review. Hello and welcome to the CE Pro podcast. You know, movies have been referred to as the seventh art form, and they've been compared to fine wine. We're going to talk a little bit about a great term that has been coined by uh, Sam Cavett and others as a cinema sommelier today. And we'll find out a little bit more about that because integrators, just like sommeliers of fine wine, are instructing and driving their clients and pointing out the best of the best and the things that they should look for and the things they should listen for just like and look for in a home theater, just like a, a wine sommelier would be doing if they're serving uh, various spirits to, to their customers. So and the goal of both wine and cinema is to bring an emotionally charged experience to the clientele, which is exactly what integrators play that role in. And we all know how important sound is on the cinema side. It's not just a visual media for home theater. Sound is so equally important. If you're a movie buff like me, you know, going all the way back to the very first talkie, uh, Al Jolson singing in the, in the jazz singer, um, to one of my favorite movies, Singing in the Rain in 1952, where they actually explored this um, con- creation of sound into the movie industry, which was uh, extremely entertaining. You can see how important sound has become. And that's what really what we're going to talk about today. Uh, we have a very special panel today for uh, the CE Pro podcast, um, a stellar panel who collaborated on the Cinema Sommelier Review that was uh, of the, the movie A Quiet Place that was done in the inaugural issue of the magazine, The Cinema, Cinema Con- Connoisseur. So we're going to talk about a lot about that with a, a great panel so I invite everybody uh, in the CE Pro audience to sit back and listen, uh, pop a bottle of wine yourself if you want, and and really entertain, get entertained not only for yourself and educate yourself on how you can help your clients, but also um, um, maybe show some of your uh, uh, your customers some of this information. So with me today are uh, Eric Adol, supervising sound editor and sound designer for A Quiet Place, which was an Oscar-nominated best. He was Oscar-nominated for best achievement in sound editing. Hey, Eric, thanks for joining me today. Good to be here. Thanks. Also with us, uh, well-known in the industry, Sam Cavett, founder and publisher of the Cinema Connoisseur that I mentioned earlier, also CEO of one of the uh, um, top uh, home theater design firms in the country, Paradise Theater in Hawaii. Hey, Sam. Aloha. It's good to be here. Thanks for being here. Also with us, Sean Skelly, owner and CEO, one of the top custom integration firms in all of the U.S., Definitive Audio in Seattle and Bellevue, Washington. Hey, Sean. Thanks for having me. Really appreciate it. Thanks for being here. And last but not least is Luke O'Brien, Director of Content Operations for Kaleidoscape. Hey, Luke. Hey, Jason. It's a pleasure to be here. Uh, wonderful group of folks that you've got gathered here today. I'm excited to be a part of it. Yeah, this is really a top-notch uh, group. It's something different we, that uh, um, I think the audience is going to really find um, uh, informative. So, all right, let's kind of go back to what I mentioned there at the beginning. And let me throw this back at you, Sam. This this term, uh, Cinema Sommelier, as part of Cinema Connoisseur, your publication. Tell us a little bit about Cinema Connoisseur and what exactly a Cinema Sommelier is in these reviews. Well, we're making it up as we go along, but... Um... <clears throat> You know, 30 years into this industry, uh, my company, Paradise Theater, is in pretty capable hands. 
And um, I have had a long-term dream of, uh, of creating a community and increasing the awareness of what it is that we've done all these years at Paradise Theater and in our industry of creating um, great uh, experiences for people. Uh, there's a thing called passion pursuits that's out there that people invest in uh, their money in and enjoy. They pursue cars and art and wine and whiskey and watches and all kinds of, of, of wonderful amenities. And I find that luxury private cinema is, is a very unknown passion pursuit in the big picture. And I've got a, de a desire, a dream of, of changing that. Um, and so we uh, created the cinema connoisseur as a uh, first step in building that community of uh, building a community that would be inclusive, that would not only have the industry involved, but also the other industry involved, which would be the movie industry. And then finally, and ultimately the audience, the people that we would serve and have them more involved with, with what we do and be more aware uh, of what it is that we bring to the table and that could we could bring to their lives um, uh, and, and increase our industry. So that's my goal. My legacy is to leave the industry better than I found it. That's what I want to do, although I'm not going away anytime soon, uh, hopefully. <laughs> but um, and then out of that, the, the idea of creating a, a movie review that was a sommelier um, uh uh, type of review rather than a, a critical movie review saying what was wrong with the drama, what was wrong with this, but more celebrating like you do when you have a nice uh, bottle of wine with a nice dinner and have your sommelier present it to your friends and family. Uh, we're celebrating, we're having, we're enjoying the uh, the experience. And so that's why we, I love the idea of the movie review being a, a, a sommelier oriented review. So the idea of the cinema sommelier came about. So that's, kind of a short story you might not think it was that short but it is as short as i get so. no i i love the analogy i think it's it's awesome so so luke the first cinema sommelier review that appeared in the cinema connoisseur was one that you did with sean from definitive about a year ago um on a quiet place correct yeah, uh, my our our whole team got together and uh, and did a write up of some of the things that we thought really made this particular movie a standout for people that wanted to do exactly what Sam's describing. They wanted to go in, pick a title that was going to help them show off all of the different things that were going to make a home theater really a standout experience. Yeah, and so Sean, um, just we're going to dig into some of the details more specifically of. Uh, of the demo that you do with uh, a quiet place, but, but what was it in particular that kind of drew you to using a quiet place um, as, um, as a movie or a film or clips that you could show to your customers? Sure. I think first and foremost, having a passion as everybody here has said about the movies, but uh, you know, typical when you go into our environment, everybody's ready for a marble or ready player one or some way to just bomb you off the, you know, the shelf. Um, and what A Quiet Place did 30 seconds in, it turned it off and basically set up a uh, an engagement, almost that the, 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 the client almost had to pay attention. Their brain had to, to work and get engaged about the process. And I thought that was a unique way to drive the client in and the subtleties of, of how that uh, the first five minutes of that movie goes really gives you an incredible experience. So uh, let's turn and talk more specifically about that with uh, with the man uh, behind the film, Eric. Um, and we're, it's kind of convenient because we're, we're getting right into the Halloween time frame here. And I don't know, some people, I mean, it's kind of odd to what actually people define as a horror movie or not. Um, I found that movie to be super entertaining and and less of what I would define as a horror movie myself. But um, Eric, obviously your, your resume, I kind of glossed over it quickly, but you know, you worked on fantastic movies, Transformer movies, Jungle Cruise, uh, Space Jam, uh, Godzilla versus Kong. Uh, we're very, very honored to have you uh, joining us today. So just to kind of give our readers or our listeners, the integrators a sense, what exactly is it that a sound editor and a sound designer does? Give us a sense of, of what that supervising sound editor and sound designer does on a movie? Yeah, well, um, the supervising sound editor kind of oversees the entire sound portion of um, making a film. 
So uh, for me, that typically starts before production even begins, uh, before any camera is rolling. And that's um, reading the script and starting to come up with sonic ideas. Um, so in the case of A Quiet Place, um, I met with uh, director John Krasinski uh, before filming had begun and there was a draft of the script. And um, I realized right away that my job as supervising sound editor on this film would probably be one of the most complicated projects uh, I'd ever been invited to, to do. Um, um, sound is in the DNA of this story. Sound is a, a, is a character. Um, sound is the danger, the difference between survival and death um, that this family has to kind of navigate through the film. So um, the process begins with the script. Um, and then, uh, then as a supervising sound editor, I start to collect sounds. I record and design the sounds to the ingredients of the film and uh, hire the whole crew and the whole team. And uh, then we start to put it together during post-production. And, uh, and it's funny, that process, even though the film has been shot in post-production, uh, it's almost like rewriting the movie. And this is where we come up with some of um, the best ideas and, and concepts. Um, so, uh, and, you know, then we mix the film and then it's out within weeks of, um, of our finish. So that's the overall of my job. So just to give, you know, educate myself, when we're talking about sound, we're talking about not only the sound that's recorded as part of the movie, but other other sounds that you would place in there as well as the music, all of that. Yeah, everything. It's um it's the dialogue. It's um the dialogue that we've replaced with ADR. In a quiet place, there's a lot of whispering that's all, you know, very delicate little uh ADR, which is re-recorded dialogue. There's the foley, so that's touching and delicate footsteps and those kind of details. Um then there's sound design and sound effects. So for a quiet place that would be all of the atmospheres, the immersive environments, um, the creature sound design, their vocals. And and uh, that was a whole process, too, kind of figuring out the uh, philosophy and the behavior of these creatures. Um, and uh, and then the design of, you know, um, point of views, character point of views, whether it's the creature's sonic point of view or the characters like the daughter Regan, uh, who's deaf. Um, putting the audience into her shoes through sound. Those are all kind of, that's all under the umbrella of um, sound design. So let's talk a little bit about how, uh, what integrators roles are, you know, not just from a, from a theater standpoint, as well as I would say from a pure audio standpoint, when an integrator is creating a, a listening environment for their customer, their goal is to recreate a live concert in essence and i think when they're putting together a, a home theater or a home cinema their goal is to really recreate the um artistic goals of the director um of that movie and you know kaleidoscape that is they've made that one of their focal points is to really um bring that artistry to as close as as possible as to how the director intended the person the, the viewer to to um experience it that artistic intent as they call it so um so when you're talking about making a quiet place what are some of the goals that you you mentioned all of the different sound effects you're putting in are you trying to elicit particular responses for each one of those things give us a sense of what you're trying to to get how you get trying to get that viewer viewer to react well, the, yeah, the, the goal is to create the most um, immersive and unique and exciting experience for the audience um, that we possibly can. Um, one of my heroes in filmmaking is uh, the, the great Walter Murch, um, who uh, had this great saying that uh, images come in through the front door, but sound comes in through the back door. And, and, and it's and I, I love that kind of metaphor because it's really true. Sound has this ability to manipulate emotions and within the audience um, in a much more kind of not obvious and subversive way. Um, and uh, so as a sound designer, um, I feel kind of like a puppet master sometimes with, <laughs> with audience emotion. Um, and with The Quiet Place, the goal was was to establish a totally different listening environment where uh it's much quieter than you're used to 
Um, and the, the goal was, and this was kind of an ex, a sonic experiment for us too. We didn't know it would work until it came out and people loved it. But the goal was um, to make the audience lean in and really start to open up their ears and pay attention to all the little details. Um, how loud is a footstep and is that dangerous? And, and uh, the effect is um, it happened to be that we're making audience members hold their breath and be afraid to eat their popcorn to, because you don't want to make a sound in this environment. Um, and uh, so, yeah, the goal with sound really is to lead the audience through a, an emotional experience. Um, and then when we do get big, it's much more effective than if you're big the whole time. So uh, it creates kind of a, a roller coaster of, of peaks and valleys. Yeah, you kind of hit on my my next question, which, you know, I'm a big Hitchcock fan and I can remember watching lengthy scenes in Vertigo where there's just he's following Jimmy Stewart around with no dialogue. But there's music, of course, uh, beautiful music. Um, how does that how does those long sequences with with, with either and the quiet place is so unique where it's quiet or there is no dialogue. How does that help build tension? Well, yeah, Hitchcock was a master of, of suspense and, um, and I think understood that less is more sometimes, um, you know, there's, uh, the, the traditional way of trying to create suspense or fear in an audience is, Oh, you'll have like a loud shock sound or, or you know, have some loud stuff. And we wanted to invert that, just turn it upside down. And uh, because I think true suspense and tension comes from negative space. And that's how you get an audience to really lean in, hold their breath. And now you've got them in the palm of your hand. And instead of using loud sound all the time, which can push away. All right, uh, Sean, you touched on this earlier about how, you know, we've all seen so many demos of Pearl Harbor and those sorts of uh, movies. Um, and this is such a unique film to to show to your customer. What is it in particular? You know, it's really the, the opposite scale of one of those war movies from that standpoint, from a loudness standpoint. What was it in particular that both from an audio and a visual standpoint that made you really want to use this as a demo choice? I think, as I just said, the lean in factor was really the most significant as we, we, we go, you know, we start 30 seconds in. So when Paramount's done with theirs, there's the, there's the, the kind of the, the strong audio that starts off and then it goes in to a complete quiet. And then you, you see the young child running, you see somebody else on tiptoes. You're, you're hearing uh, some subtleties with some incredible contrast. And you're emotionally starting to get engaged, um, whatever your perspective is, whether you're a younger person or an older person, you get engaged. And you're trying to figure out, I, I, I'm assuming what you're trying to figure out is why is this family being so quiet? You know, what is it, right? So you're putting yourself in it. So whether it's the plane that falls down and somebody catches it and you start to realize there's something uh, really bad if this happens to the point that the batteries are being taken out, if you know the uh, the first part of that scene, which, you know, that's a life or death. Well, how, what was batteries? What's going on with it? And there's just so much great, uh, setup through the process. You know, the little, uh, again, the uh, newspaper that's out, out, it says, uh, I think it's sound or it's about sound. You just see the flicker of it in the newspaper or the start where you know the cars have been there for quite a while and you only hear the air moving. Um, just it's the incredible contrast from what you think you're going to get, yet you still get a very robust visual strength. Incredible from the highlight of her hair, when the uh, the scene of the autumn, when they're walking to the bridge, you, that almost mesmerizes you, yet you know something's coming. Just like, you know, the greatness of a Jaws, you, you know you're not sitting here for a, you know, a, a homogenous movie. So therefore, you know, something's coming around a corner. And that's, you know, that is where the clients on their edge, they're, they're participating. in it. And if you've seen it before, doesn't matter, still catches you. Yeah. Sam, what, what are your thoughts on in terms of the, the audio and, and visual elements of A Quiet Place? Why do you think it's so appropriate? It, it, it's just like Sean said, <clears throat> there are so many of the big loud demos 
and and it just but it, it dulls our senses and 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 makes us not pay attention and to not to really see and not to really experience the the art that is has been created and to hear Eric talking about what you did in creating that it's like a sim like a composer writing a symphony and finding the right instruments to create this this symphony and 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 um and it's the subtlety and the detail that makes that um that demonstration shine both from the audio and the image standpoints uh it would be real easy to ignore the beauty of the imagery if we were being overwhelmed with a lot of sound and so forth so um <clears throat> i find that to be uh, um the discipline and the art uh, i'm a i'm a musician and i'm a drummer so you'd say well that's the anti uh, uh anti discipline but what i've learned over many years of doing percussion and playing the drums is less is more and it's it's the the things i leave out that makes the things that i actually do count and and so it it's you know um it's the same level of 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 that artistry and then as a demonstration so we've gone to the extent to create a room that's quiet and have a system that's capable of 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 producing and reproducing great detail and accuracy both from an image standpoint and audio standpoint and when we can get the audience to pay attention and lean in as you said that is a wonderful demo um and it's interesting because one of the things we do when we we deliver a room when we 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 like these detailed type of demos when we do our critical listening too when we're tuning a room because it allows us to do the same thing lean in and and actually hear it uh but when we deliver a room the first thing we do is 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 a, a, i call it silence is golden we just allow our audience our client to hear a quiet room and to uh experience quiet which is a rarity in today's world right and then we explain that the quiet's important because that's where we can hear the 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 last 3% or the last 2% of a real luxury high performance private cinema and system is those details that that you're not going to get with a lesser uh, a lesser experience and and so a demo like this gives us the ability to actually show that and and build build up so it's um i i wish there were more of this rather than the I do like action movies, by the way, but but I just do wish that there were, were more of these bits of subtlety that we could share with our clients. It's really great. And and look, we're not saying anything bad about a face-melting bass demo. That is <laughs> one of the reasons why you paid for all of those gorgeous subwoofers at the front of your theater. You You want to put it in and you want to you know, go back and have somebody's hair blown off. That is one wonderful demo to give as you come through. But I think, you know, Sean and Sam are talking about trying to give people an actual experience and getting to a movie scene that really the primary focus is on world building. All of the things that Sean was talking about that are drawing you in, you are working through the process of trying to understand what's happening in the movie and you're appreciating all of the elements that are on screen as it happens. It's pretty spectacular. Yeah, it's so funny. I mean, I've heard terms, and you guys can correct me if I'm wrong, that like something like 70% of the dialogue is reproduced to the center channel. And it's interesting because I would, in that opening sequence that Sean was describing, there's really no dialogue taking place. So it's really, um, uh, you know, you're, it's making you focus on the rest of the environment versus just that singular center channel speaker so eric let me turn speaking of kind of speakers um you know the immersive uh audio has become a real commonplace for uh the theaters that that sean and, and sam uh design and install uh dolby atmos dts etc so give us a sense of how important do you think it is for a homeowner to have a, a home cinema that has that immersive audio to experience a film like the, a quiet place um, properly, or is it still going to generate that same response, even if they don't have an immersive technology system? Well, we try to make a, a movie work in every format, but the reality is if um, a home theater owner wants to experience exactly the gold standard of what we've created, um, now every single temp pole we do native Atmos. Um, that's how we work. 
So if a home a home theater owner wants to hear exactly what we have done in all of its pristine detail, the immersive format is the only way to go. Um, you're going to get a watered down version of what we actually did with any other format. Yeah. Sam, what are you seeing out there from a customer standpoint? I mean, obviously you're talking to the customers on a consistent basis about the, the, the um, advantages of having an immersive environment versus, you know, not having that. Um, the customers understand it and they recognize it and they're accepting it, or there's still some sort of like um, education that has to take place there. Our company is kind of is, is unique in the fact that we <clears throat> focus on luxury private cinema exclusively. Um, we end up doing some studios and things like that as a side uh, because people know us and they want us to do that work for them too, but they come to us for luxury private cinema. And so they come to us with a certain level of expectation generally. Uh, and after an education process, then they certainly know what's available. And we, uh, we work to um, allow people to find it for themselves a little bit so that it's not like, Hey, you need this, you need that. We want people to, to gain an appreciation of what it has to offer. And Eric, what you just shared, it's something another friend of mine drew um, that Christofaro had told me as well as, well, at the end of the day, we just would do it in Atmos. And, and it's, you know, it's important to know that because uh, if I'm going to go to the Louvre and, and look at, uh, at, at, at uh, art, I want to know, what the artist was thinking. I want to do a little bit of pre previous, you know, reading so I can get more out of the art and, and the same thing. So pretty much every room we do has, has an immersive system. And we also seem to tend towards the high channel count, whether it's a DCI room or not, because we try to design to the room and got a three row or four row theater, you know, you can't do much with 7.1.4. You got to, you know, get the sound to everybody. So, um, um, the interesting thing is, percentage-wise, in today's private cinema compared to the commercial cinema, uh, commercial cinemas I think have around twenty percent Atmos screens out of out of the thirty thousand some odd rooms that are out there. You know, twenty percent have an Atmos system, and um, if we're saying that one hundred percent of the rooms that Paris Theater does, and I'm sure that my colleagues are pretty close to that as well that do actual theater rooms or media rooms and so forth. Um, our percentage is a lot higher with, uh, with actual Atmos, Atmos rooms. So um, I find that to be an interesting thing. And it goes to one of the, one of my goals is to, is to make the luxury private cinema recognized as, as a great place to experience the art. That's a place where you can really experience the art. Our goal is not to let our clients suffer through a watered down version of the art that they're receiving. Our goal is to get it to them the way that they can really love it and appreciate it and gain a lot out. Of it. So um, that's, yeah, that's my experience currently. Sean, let me ask you, you know, I think most theaters uh, that integrators are doing today are multi-purpose rooms. They're not dedicated rooms. What about the immersive formats in a multi-purpose environment or multi-purpose room environment? Well, I think that, that you made a great point. I mean, simple things like, uh, are you sitting there for two hours and just staring forward? Uh, clearly now they might be laying on a chaise and uh, popping YouTube and Netflix and a couple other things, right, for, for uh, content and playback. But uh, I think it's still, uh, even in the family room where it's being played, there's still a connectivity to the screens kind of taking over the screen and the sound is taking over. Uh, in most cases, unless, again, they're just playing it as background noise. So it's a little bit of the combination of the two. Um, look at the environment, help make it as rich as you possibly can for the environment. But once they show the passion, uh, once they show the connection, then it's our job to show them how to refine that to its very best. And there's, there's a limited amount of things that we can't overcome in today's both technology and with uh, engineering and installation to overcome what might be a dead spot or a challenge or um, uh, too much light in a room. And that's the beauty really of how technology continues to evolve. Mm -hmm. The biggest challenge candidly we have are two extremes. One of which is you buy a box and it says Atmos or you buy a phone and it says Atmos. Oh, that must be Atmos. Well, um, that's, that's a little bit of a challenge to help people understand the difference, of course. Or secondly, they're used to a 20 year old room where they might've been getting, you know, uh, three locks or something. 
you know. <laughs> so you can just imagine, and that room's been dark for 10 years. So, or candidly, they went through a relatively rough cinema in the last five years. So helping them understand what the possibilities are, because they're not shopping every day for a theater. But once they do, and candidly, it's about the content then that really makes that difference, because then you can express how they're seeing it and understand how to uh, share it with them. So, Luke, I mentioned earlier that, you know, one of Kaleidoscape's goals is to, you know, bring that artist, it, artistic intent to um, the films that, that uh, as they're put in our, the Kaleidoscape uh, media server. Can you kind of just briefly describe what is the process that you go through at Kaleidoscape to, to make sure that you are reproducing that artistic intent for the movies that are placed on your server for the theater enthusiasts? Well, I mean, there's a couple of things that we have uh, that are part of our process. We get, um, you know, mezzanine and PCM audio file deliveries or, uh, you know, raw Dolby Atmos files that they bring over in order to get pieces that we master together and put into a Kaleidoscape container format to create our version of the movie that goes out. Our goal is to have a visually lossless presentation of the movie and to have a lossless presentation of the audio that was delivered to us, delivered out to our customers. Uh, The great thing about what our product is, is because it's a download service where it actually comes and lives on your server in your home means that we're able to get, you know, 10 times the audio and video bit rate that you're going to see that comes through when you are out there in the streaming environment. And that bit rate increase is a quality increase is something that you can see and hear uh, when you're experiencing the movie at home. And it's that file that is there living on the system that is there to elevate the other components that Sam and Sean have put into your home as they've brought together. We're there to elevate all of those other components. So you can be in a dedicated theater and the light control is perfect and the screen is gorgeous and you've got an amazing Atmos room with a gajillion speakers laid out in it. You're going to get every little bit of goodness that we can pulled out of that. You could also be in, you know, my apartment that I stay in sometimes where I have a kaleidoscape and a TV and a terrible sound bar. It's going to give me everything that those components are capable of. And a lot of the places that we have are actually multi uh, room as they come into their home. So they have their dedicated speaker space or their or theater space or their family space. And then they also want something in their bedroom. that's never going to be installed in that sort of same high level. We want you to feel like you're getting the best possible experience of the movie wherever you're watching it. And, you know, it's a combination of the source as well as the design. You know, if uh, I think of the, the issues that now, uh, integrators are going to be challenged with um, as they go to these uh, large micro LED video walls in customers' mm. homes where you can't put a speaker behind it. Now you are, you are, I've heard the term ventriloquism effect where people are watching a movie and you're actually reading that person's lips, even though the sound might be coming from a little, not directly right behind that person's lips, but now you're forced to place the, the speaker's either on the ceiling or way on the side and you've got, it could cause all sorts of issues. So you've got to, it all has to come together perfectly, you know? Yeah. We've got to find a way to keep mastering the technology as it becomes available to us. There's all these incredible improvements and uh, you know, as every one of them comes along, we we've got to find a way to integrate them into what we're able to present to the customers so that we're doing the work so that it's as easy as possible for them so that they trust us to help build that environment. And then when they come home, They've just got a uh, trust that exists in what their experience is going to be. Yep. All right. I want to talk specifically about some of the scenes from A Quiet Place. You know, Sean, you already talked about that opening sequence, the quietness, the foot, the footsteps, the batteries. Um, Eric, I know you've done so many movies, but if you can kind of go back to your mind, what are some of the sounds that are probably taking place in that opening scene that Sean talked about? that we as an audience may not know about, whether it's the, sa- the, the air blowing through the car or the newspaper rustling. What are some of the, the, the I guess, hundreds or even thousands of sounds that are, that are being compiled in that, that two and a half minute or one and a half minute scene? Uh, well, yeah, as you said, first we established the environment 
And uh, one of the rules in the film is that if you make a sound that's uh, loud enough to hear from a distance, you're dead. So we don't have dogs barking. Um, that wouldn't work in this universe. We don't have a lot of the typical sounds you would have. We play the environmental sounds like the wind, uh, the wind through leaves, the little newspaper rustling. Um, and then we play the intimate sounds of the characters, their bare feet in, in, the, uh, uh, in the market store, uh, the gentle touching of supplies as they're collecting their foraging for supplies to bring home. And, uh, and we're establishing uh, Regan, the daughter's deafness, where we cut in close to her cochlear implant and hear kind of her internal um, rumble uh, of her deafness. And we were uh, kind of inspired by um, the actress who herself, Mil Millicent Simmons, who is deaf, who kind of described what that is like. And, um, and we also visited an, an uh, anechoic chamber which is the kind of most quiet environment you can be in. Um, and it's a kind of surreal experience where after a few minutes, you start to hear your internal body sounds and uh, the blood going through your heart and uh, the cavity of your breathing. So, um, so that's kind of what inspired us to, to, for our approach for Regan's hearing. And then uh, of course the family leaves uh, the market and starts trekking home and they're walking along the rail tracks and that's where this um, toy rocket ship goes off. The, the youngest son uh, triggers it. And that's the loudest sound we've heard so far in the scene. And it's, it's a small sound, but it's shocking because, uh, because of the dynamic contrast of what's come before. And uh, that's where we're introduced to the first creature. Um, and you hear it's kind of clicking, uh, which is its echolocation uh, sound. So... Um, and uh, we decided to use echolocation as, as a theme for the creatures. Um, we decided, okay, they're essentially blind visually, but they have hypersensitive hearing. So um, they would use uh, uh, echolocation to navigate through their environments and to hunt for prey. Um, and we made that sound actually, it was a lot of experimentation. First, we started with real life analogs um, of in the animal kingdom that use echolocation, like bat recordings, um, dolphin clicks, and they all felt a little too familiar. And finally, we stumbled upon um, a stun gun, which we had here in, in the studio. And uh, so the clicks out of that stun gun, we recorded with a um, scientific microphone to capture frequencies above the threshold of human hearing. And, but then once slowed down, we get really high fidelity, precise clicks. And then we made patterns out of those for, for the creature's echolocation. And it was actually uh, the stun gun into a grape so to conduct the electricity the best way. Um, so, yeah. That's, uh, that's awesome. That's, that, that reminds me of, I guess I have heard stories about um, hit hitting a head of iceberg lettuce when they were trying to recreate that sound of somebody getting their skull cracked in a movie. Um, so um, no, Sam and, and Sean have already kind of chimed in on, on their thoughts on how uh, powerful that scene was. Luke, did you have any impressions you wanted to talk particularly about that opening scene? I, you know, I, uh, I, I don't think I have a lot additional to offer. They did a great job describing it. I, I think one of the things Sean pointed out, you know, how there's a lot of this movie um, because it's so well written from a character perspective, you, you don't think of it as a horror movie to the same extent, but really the central conceit is a horror movie conceit writ large. This is, uh, you know, the killer is nearby and you're trying to not make a sound so that they don't find you. And, and that's, that's the whole worldview that sort of is built up. And I, the way that they establish it in this opening scene is uh, pretty extraordinary. Yeah. And Sean, um, Eric, if I recall, was that the also the scene that was used in the trailer? Because I can remember, I think seeing that scene as a trailer in another, and at some point, and thought, "Wow, this is this looks like a great movie." Yeah, I believe it was a part of the trailer. We didn't give away what happens at the end of that scene, which yeah, wouldn't want to do that. But yeah, yeah. All right, um, Sean, let's talk about. There was a couple other in the the, the cinema sommelier review that you did with Luke. You mentioned the scene where they're playing, the family's playing Monopoly. You want to talk a little mm -hmm. bit about the power of that scene? 
Almost, you know, again, similar to what we're talking about is the fact that you we've all done this before, uh, yet we haven't done this before. So we, we know what the sound is of dice hitting. Um, we know how to communicate back and forth. We know what kids typically do um, in communicating at high voice, not at uh, sign language. So just the unique contrast that's built into there with something that you're used to but has such a different framing to pull you in. That's what I think the brilliance of the whole movie is, right? You could imagine a kid being sick. Again, going back to the first part, you expect a noise from the child. There's no noise. So those elements are the same with the Monopoly board. And again, what, what a brilliant way to take something that we all know so well. And typically, as the game goes on a little bit more, the louder the dice gets, you know, and they're and the playing with that really, I think, engages the client through the process. And then there's all the subliminal again, you know, our instruments, both our ears and eyes are so uh, wickedly good that you can't stop of looking in the background where there's uh, points of what uh, John is learning about how to save them through the process that is there to kind of build up to the context. I think it's Hitchcock that says it's a proposal, act one. It's an argument, you know, um, uh, uh, kind of challenging that process and then a conclusion, right? And this is all building up to how are they going to stay safe? And you start to learn a little bit of that trick in the process. Yeah. Um, Eric, was there any particular insights into some of the sounds for the making of that scene that you want to thrill us with? Sure. Um, well, yeah, I, I just loved what John had done with that scene where the mon- Monopoly pieces for each player are felt, you know, because <laughs> you don't yeah. want the clicking of the little, you know, lead piece um, making too much noise. Um, and uh, then, of course, when the lantern gets knocked over, because we've been so quiet, um, there's uh, it's feels shockingly loud, though. If you actually look at the meters, that's not a giant sound. But in context, it feels giant and dangerous and big enough to attract a creature's attention. Um, and then there's this kind of quiet lull where they're all just like holding their breath and waiting. And there's a little bit of communication um, with sign language uh, where we put in a little bit of ADR um, whispering to go along with the sign language. And this is something that's never happened before on any movie I've ever done. But when we were recording that ADR with the actors, it was the performance was so quiet that on the ADR stage, um, for the first time ever, our ADR mixer could hear the ventilation going. So we had to, for the first time in studio history, turn off the ventilation (laughs) so that we could capture um, all of those little breaths um, in a pristine manner. Um, and then something shows up on the ceiling and, uh, that's where the immersive format really becomes handy because we can actually put the creaks and sounds into the ceiling, not on the screen, but actually above the audience. It's funny. You should mention the HJC because I know, you know, Sam and, and Sean have probably dealt with that when they're designing theaters, when that kicks in and. And uh, we've seen it, I've seen it in, in theaters at sound rooms at shows and things like that, where it's difficult. It's, it And you do notice it. You don't notice it till you notice it. I hate to even sound like uh, I'm talking in circles there. But um, uh, Sam or Sean or, 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 or Luke, any other particular thoughts? I should say, Sam or Luke, any about that uh, Monopoly scene that you wanted to, to mention? Well, thank you, Eric, for giving us a really great uh, reason for somebody to do their room right. Um, Mm -hmm. (laughs) And it's because the, once the moment is lost, the moment is lost that suspension of disbelief and, and the artistry you described about creating that scene from the felt on the monopoly pieces to all of the, all of the things that were done to create that, that tapestry of, of a scene. Um, If one of them's distracted away and lost, then, then the whole scene is effectively lost. Um, And so it's, it's, um, I, I always say it all matters. All of these things matter if we want to do it right. And um, to hear this, uh, I, I could go on and listen to the, your discussion of how this is created because all of it creates the, what I, I challenge with the word experience because we overuse it. I'm looking for a new word, but it, it's, we want to describe what happens to us 
when we're exposed to this art. And, and that's what we use the word experience to describe and the value of that. And, and uh, anyway, I, yeah, I'll just, um, I'm almost speechless because it's so impactful to hear you talk about creating it. And um, so it's very good. Thanks. Yeah. <clears throat> Sean, let me turn back to you for one more uh, 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 demo clip that you use, which is kind of one of the crescendos of the, of the movie, but it's really more of the, where we're bringing in the visual element uh, where the uh, kind of a climactic scene with the, the hero, the, the uh, John Krasinski's character and the fireworks that go off and um, to uh, warn the family, give us a sense of what it is you like about that scene. Well, as we've said here all the way along, we're trying to help um, as best as we can uh, give what the director and the actors were trying to produce. Right. And, and uh, we're learning a little bit more, I think today of what yes. they were trying to produce. We're not catching it either, right? So that's part of the art. But I think in there you get the incredible strength and, and almost all of this is about the detail, right? It's, it's the, easy, the easiest thing to do is to start at nine and wrap it to 10. The best benefit you can do is start at uh, point one and go to point two and then go to point six and then point seven. And that scene goes from black, uh, fire, images that are propelling all around and just you know takes you on a, a wild ride uh, and incredible experiences of everything now is at uh, from zero to 10 in a way that's just capturing you. And we've all seen, of course, those elements before. So we're capturing them now in a stunning uh, view, which of course brings that climatic um, frame to life. Uh, Eric, obviously I would think the firework sequence is tailor made for an Atmos scenario. You want to give us any quick Mm -hmm. insights to that, that scene? Yeah, so um, this scene kicks off with uh, where Evelyn um, uh, realizes she's going through labor. So in this universe, you can imagine that a baby being born is probably the most dangerous thing possible. (laughs) So the family, um, in their innovation, has created a silent alarm system, which is the red lights. So the father and son Marcus are elsewhere. They see the alarms go off and they realize they need to create a, a sonic distraction um, to help save mom going through labor. Um, so that's where the fireworks come in. And um, uh, meanwhile, um, the daughter is in, in a cornfield and this is the first time we establish the, um, the connection between her and these creatures there's some sort of electrical interference between the creatures and her cochlear implant earpiece so we tell that story um exclusively through sound where um where the creature opens up its ears we then tell the audience okay this is what the creature's hearing and it's just the din of insects in the cornfield and then uh we start to uh, that interacts with her earpiece and we hear this shrieking kind of feedback sound. We cut to Millicent and hear her perspective of it. And she's in pain and rips it out. And um, it's a f- wonderful scene for me just because um, without using any sort of exposition or dialogue, we can tell that story very precisely through sound. And I, I think, like you said, Sean, um, this sequence uh, is kind of the culmination of everything we've set up before. So it's... Um, where the movie is called The Quiet Place, this chunk of the movie uh, becomes not quiet. <laughs> and and But I think because of all the quiet that preceded it, um, it becomes much more effective um, uh, yeah. in terms of intensity. Sam, let me uh, ask you about, you know, room design. We talked about, um, you know, speaker placement and number of speakers, immersive environments. Um, obviously, there's hardscapes and reflective surfaces there's so many different things that you have to consider uh ceiling height uh, chair height uh it's on and on the gear itself i can recall you know he's very outspoken guy but we did an interview with alan parsons uh you know some years ago the the uh, producer of dark side of the moon and he was adamant that room acoustics was was um underplayed and the the gear was overplayed that that so many people were, were concentrating, focusing on their gear and they were ignoring the room acoustics as what he felt was just as important for quality theater. Give us a sense of when you're designing a, a private theater, what is your intent? Is it, is it 
you know, the, that emotional response to recreate that artistic intent, or is it really finding that mix? Obviously you've got budgetary, budgetary concerns and things like that to, 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 is it a series of compromises? Give us a sense when you're doing that design, what it's like. Well, you know, we're creating a venue to recreate art. Um, you know, um, in an article I wrote a little while ago, um, I, I brought up the, uh, um, Oh my goodness! This is my my memory lapses are going to show, but the uh, Monet Claude Monet when he created the the water lilies um, artwork that he's famous for, he first made sure that the uh, uh, the venue at the Lingerie was going to be appropriate for the art that he had envisioned, and the you know I I don't know would he have made created that art if he could not have had the environment correct. So if we're going to create an environment that art is going to be displayed in, it's our responsibility to create an environment that it, the art, artistic intent is recreated accurately. So that's a long way of saying everything matters. The, the acoustics of the room matter. The design of the room matter. The ergonomics matter. The equipment absolutely matters. If we have loudspeakers that don't represent the entire frequency range accurately and put them in a room that does, it's still not going to be very good and vice versa. So um, we just, you know, and, and what you said, there's, there are budgetary constraints. I've done $2 million rooms and there was a budget. We broke it a few times to get to $2 million, but at the end of the day, we were still at a $2 million budget. The same is true for a $200,000 room. You know, you just have, but first we look at what we're trying to achieve and um, and to do, as, as Sean said, the best we can under the circumstances. Compromises exist. There's always going to be a compromise. Anytime you do anything, there's going to be a compromise that comes into play. But to be aware of what those compromises are and to accommodate them uh, as best as we can is, 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 is uh, that's, the, that's the art of it. That's the, um, the art and the science of it. So we're applying science in order to uh, serve art. Um, and that's, so I, I, I like to say everything matters. We try to look at things from the holistic approach and, uh, and, and do it uh, very accurately and very comprehensively and communicate what we're doing so that the client knows why we're making choices with them to get that art. And it, it that, process helps raise the value to them that they'll look at it and say, Oh yeah, we did all these things so that I can enjoy this that much more with the people I love. And that's what we're really talking about is those special moments. So yeah, everything matters. <laughs> yeah. You know, Sean, let me kind of pick up on that. Cause we, you know, I agree wholeheartedly with Sam that, you know, everything matters. Um, but we have so much, so many, um, Clients these days now are relying on streaming services as their their primary means of viewing um, uh, films or TV shows or anything for that matter. Um, what what are you and even lighting? Let's just say you know we we talked sure. about all these other things. You know the ambient light in the room it can be distracting or uh, important. What are some of the key things that you look at that it often get overlooked? Let's just say when you're designing a room. Uh, that people don't think about, whether it be lighting or the, the source component or whatever? Well, I think uh, first and foremost is the, 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 you know, the content elements that you're choosing. And again, uh, we only know what we know. So I'll go to a very simple one that we might uh, may or may not connect, but, you know, we're streaming now NFL on Thursday nights, right? Well, you might be doing that from a cable box and you might see a very different streaming than you may see it from a uh, TV with smart, right? And that's because of buffering, networking, all those type of things, which can get too confusing. But I think the benefit for us is to be able to show how those things are interconnected and give them um, both the contrast of what the differences are. Again, our clients are incredibly smart. They can pick up on the little sound elements. They can tell by the visual strengths. They can see the the um, kind of clouding difference between a streaming service and something like a kaleidoscape. So that, so showing it to them, you don't have to do much more than that. They pick up on it, but you need to be able to show it to them. If you can't show it to them, 
then they can't see the difference. And that's the, that's the strength again of going back to this movie where you're, you're, um, you're not at nine and going to 10. Again, you have these subtleties where the client can see it. I've, I've heard the story of, uh, which most of our clients try to give us early when they're trying to learn. Uh, I can't tell the difference. I'm tone deaf. And, and then we say, but so when the mother-in-law calls, you don't know what her point of view is. <laughs> you understand her emotions pretty quickly. You're not tone deaf. You've got incredible instruments. And I think just allowing that client to see, feel, hear, and then they get the emotional benefit. That's where the, you know, the, um, essentially the budget might adjust because now they want whatever they can get. And then our job is to help create that to the best of possibilities. There's usually an area where a client wants to ramp up a little bit more. It might be simple things like, uh, give me a bigger screen. Um, but it's typically in, in the greatness of what we do is it's around the, the family choices then. So let's show them what's possible. It could be the detail of the furniture that may make a difference because again, they're, they're lying side by side right? Um, instead of sitting in a chair. So whatever those elements are, it's best to show them, let them experience it, and then we'll allow them to help us figure out where the potential trade-off could be to maximize the benefit for the client. So Eric, let me come back to you. When you're, you mentioned earlier that you were trying to mix a movie so that it's got that entertainment and that emotional response, no matter how the viewer is looking at it. And obviously Sean's and Sam's case, their clientele is, you know, not going to be somebody who's just using the speaker that's coming from the TV. However, we know that that is a lot of people out there who do not have surround sound. They don't even have sound bars. Um, you know, and you, do you, does that come to your mind when you're mixing a movie that you, you're mixing this not only for a commercial cinema or a nice home theater that Sam and Sean do, but also for somebody, you know, sitting at it, watching it on their TV in their kitchen? Yeah, no, it's a big deal. I mean, uh, our, when we were mixing it um, all the time, we would bring up, OK, if, you know, if people don't go see this in a proper theater, um, and they're at home watching it on a flat screen with the dishwasher going on, they're going to lose 99% of what we're doing in this whole sequence. It's just going to disappear. So I think that was kind of an important part of uh, getting the word out that this is a movie that you need to see in a proper theater. Um, and uh, for the home theater part, we said, you better have a really good home theater system to appreciate um, all the work that went into this. Uh, because if you're watching it on a device or on a wall-mounted screen with its internal speakers, you're, you're just going to miss most of what we did. Um, okay. Um, I want to kind of uh, wrap up and have everybody kind of uh, walk through some of the just great information that we've gotten here today about, you know, the importance of audio um, in um, uh, creating that that home theater environment. Uh, Luke, let me start with you. Any kind of closing thoughts that you can think of to, to talk about, you know, what an integrator who, who's, who's listening to this or watching this from great takeaways on what they should be doing to, to make that best experience possible for their clients? Yeah, I mean, I think that... Um my selfish polite escape perspective always says, please make sure you've got the best source possible to feed everything else that you're doing. If you're an integrator that's out there and uh, you want to make sure you're selling the best screen and you're selling the best speakers, make sure they have the best source behind them. And uh, the great thing about features like this is it's going to point you to films. I mean, we're still just passing along extraordinary movies that were created by Hollywood. The work that Eric did is the base value that's going to help us sell everything. If we don't have great, interesting movies, then why would they ever get any of this stuff in the first place? Um, uh, we just uh, don't want them to have think that they're getting a beautiful bottle of wine and then, you know, to pour it into a paper cup and sip it through a plastic straw while they're doing something else. That's you, you've you've taken yourself away from that experience. So give yourself the best advantages to give your customer the best experience. Yeah. Sean, let me turn back to you. Um, you mentioned, you know, obviously we went through the demo scenes. I think it was Steve Jobs who'd said that people don't know what they want unless you tell them what they what they want. Um, when you were doing the demo, 
give me a, give everybody a sense. Are you prefacing the demo to the client and say, here's what I would like you to watch, look for, or listen for at this moment in these sequences, or do you run it and then circle back afterwards? Give us a sense of how you do that in particular. Well, it does depend on where you're at with a client. So there, there's a little bit of that depending, you know, you're not probably starting off with that scene and just saying, sit down, watch. So there's a little bit of clear discussion with it. But but I think what I've seen and what, but candidly, our sales team that's better than me clearly at this is, is to uh, set them up uh, very briefly with just a, uh, this is going to be X amount of length. Um, please pay attention to a little bit of X, Y, and Z. And, and then you discuss, though, after what they saw. Um, traditionally, we would see customers then even say, could we go back through that? Could I see that again? Because of the, the benefit is you're kind of, you know, pulling that string a little bit, right? And then they're starting to see it and understanding more. So I don't think you want to uh, give them too much um, clearly at the start. Let them feel it. And that's why this specific movie is one of my favorites for sure, because it, 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 it does push all those elements, right? Um, but then the discussions really happen. And that's when you're starting to really understand the client so much more. They're starting to tell you what they're seeing. They're starting to give you even simple things like genres that they enjoy so you can get the next clip ready. But more importantly, they're starting to engage. And that's what it's all about is you need to hear from them. I'd use a, the last uh, is we're using wine as a, a frame. I think it's the perfect example for us and ironically not in our space. So it helps the same thing with wine though. One of the best experiences I've ever had with wine was with somebody who um, had jelly bellies made me close my eyes and close my nose and have a jelly belly. And you actually couldn't tell what flavor it was. You opened your nose, you could start to understand it. You opened your eyes, of course, you got the rest of it. And that's really what we're doing, right? Is we want the client to open their ears, open those eyes as full as they can and get start to really taste it. You know, that's when we have them in a great position for the benefit they're gonna be able to get. Except for black licorice, I can tell black there are licorice two flavors. every there time. There are two flavors. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, uh, Eric, let me uh, uh, come to you. Then I'll, I'll come back to Sam for closing thoughts. What are your your What is your kind of like takeaway message for integrators who are listening to this in terms of when they're out there designing cinemas? Um, you know, again, trying to have that best artistic intent in at their heart. Um, What's what do you think is some uh, one key piece of advice that you'd like to give them in terms of what they should be doing? Well, may, maybe this is um, obvious, but um, I'll, I'll state the obvious um, accuracy. Um, if if you can perfectly reproduce what we've done uh, without, you know, oh, this is like huge base, more more than you even experienced in the cinema, or this is. You know, <clears throat> brighter you know tweeters or this or that no we want a perfect like flat accuracy um that's uh as as an artist um that's kind of the most important thing to me uh, sam brought up um the water lilies um monet's water lilies at l'orangerie and it's funny you brought that up because i was there three weeks ago oh. standing right in front of them <laughs> and and I remember oh, like just... looking at them from an angle and you can see the actual oil textures of the paint on the canvas. And I'd seen these paintings dozens of times before on the internet, on pictures, but there's nothing like the accurate real experience right there being able to see the brush strokes. And um, so I think in the home theater environment, the more accurate and precise you can get, um, that's, that's how you're gonna experience the art in its fullest. Excuse me. All right, Sam, final word. Excuse me. Uh, as soon as I get over the chills about yeah. standing in front of that art, because um, th that's that's what it's all about. And I do want to say uh, bravo to Sean on the, the demo, the, 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 the write up you did in the in the in the cinema sommelier is is brilliant. And, and what you said about setting the scene and being a sommelier of the scene that somebody's going to experience and 
allowing them to engage. Because I think I was just at CD and there was a dearth of that. The demonstrations were not done that way. Of course, you can't really demonstrate much detail in that noise floor, but still it, 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 it allows people to see what's available to them and, and experience it. And, and, uh, and, and sure, if we want people to be able to engage and once they've engaged and they see that there's more to it than, than what that surface glance might give them, then they're starting to be in a position where they can add value to it and they can start to say, Oh, wait, this is something that could mean something to me. And it's something that I can share. And that's the crux because that's what we're doing. We're creating places where people can have beautiful shared moments. I had a client that talked to me about that. He says, it's all about these beautiful shared moments. And then he went on to tell about how he had loved music for his entire life, two channel and everything. And it was all about sharing it with his family and his friends. He, he even said, Sam, we used to listen to albums like we watch movies. And of course, I'm from that genre too. So I did that, you know, open the album and play it over and over again, all that kind of stuff and shared moments and, and personal value. If we create that with what we do, um, the art will come through and then it'll have an increased value. And then our clients will be uh, that old phrase that THX had, the audience is listening, right? We need them to listen. And if they're not listening, that we don't have anything to offer. But if they are listening, if they are having those beautiful shared moments through our efforts from the art to the industry the creation, the interior designers, everybody that works to bring this to our clients, to our audience, then we have something to offer. And that's what my goal is with the Cinema Connoisseur, actually, is to invite the audience to the show so that they're part of this dialogue. We talk about these things inside of the industry all the time, but we're not talking about them enough to the audience directly. So it's one, it's a, it's a, it's a hard wall to, to get over because you know, it, it, we're, we're not able to make as much noise as, as big, big industries and so forth. But um, it's something for us all to shoot for as, as a community to let the audience in on the secret of what it is that we can offer. And um, that's, that's just kind of my recurring theme. And, uh, and I hope you guys have had as much fun as I have today. I've learned many, many great things. So um, I appreciate it and want to do a lot more of this type of thing. How, how does somebody, um, I can tell our to listeners and, and our viewers how they can get access to uh, becoming a subscriber of the Cinema Connoisseur. Cinemaconnoisseur.com is there's a free subscription um, uh, uh, form on that. It's, it's, a, it's a free subscription. The whole idea behind this is that we get more um more of a community and build that up so that's what we're that's what we're trying to do and i think you hit <clears throat> that shared i apologize everybody i got a scratchy throat but um that shared experience is why we love the movies why we love listening to music you know how many times have you said seen a movie that you've seen over and over but then you find out that somebody hasn't seen it and you're like you want to watch that movie with that person because it's such a shared experience and how much you love it. So um, this has been fantastic. Um, I want to thank uh, Eric Adol, Sam Cavett, Sean Skelly, Luke O'Brien for joining Seat Pro on our podcast today. And um, fantastic information. And everybody, thank you for listening today. Mm -hmm.